0: Turn with me in the Holy Scripture this morning to the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to John, John chapter 15. My text this morning is verse 16. The Word of God at John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me, without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. There ends our reading of God's holy word this morning. May he add his blessing to our reading of the scripture. I call your attention to verse 16, especially the first part of the verse, the last part of the verse I will refer to, but the main point of the sermon is verse 16, the first part. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. That ye, should go, uh, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And then the last part of the verse, And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. One of the outstanding truths set forth in the Holy Scripture is the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God. In fact, it may be said this is the truth that Holy Scripture sets forth. The first pages of Holy Scripture confront us with the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God, the God who speaks, and the entire creation by the word of his power, comes into existence. God is sovereign. That simply means that he is the ruler. It means that he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. It means that his word always comes to pass and his promises never fail. God is absolutely sovereign. It is especially in the salvation of sinners, your salvation, and my salvation, that the absolute sovereignty of God shines forth the most brightly. That God should save me, even me, is the declaration in my own soul that I can never deny that God is sovereign. God is sovereign in salvation. God's sovereignty in salvation we refer to as God's decree of predestination. According to his sovereign will from all eternity, God has determined the destiny, predestination. He has Determined before, pre, the destiny, destination of every human being. God's decree of predestination we often refer to as double predestination because. There are two destinies that God has determined for all human beings. Now, as a matter of fact, God's decree of predestination concerns also the angels. But the focus of Holy Scripture and of our text this morning is on God's predestination of human beings. Double predestination, because from all eternity, God has determined that the destination of some men will be hell. Eternal damnation. Judgment, everlasting under the righteous wrath of God. But also, besides reprobation, God's sovereign decree of election, God's determination of the destiny Of some human beings, of us, and of our children after us, will be everlasting life and glory in heaven. God's covenant of friendship perfected. And we living with him in friendship eternally. That's the hope and the comfort of the doctrine of predestination. In the text, the Lord Jesus Himself teaches predestination, teaches especially, election, God's predestination unto life and glory. That's Jesus' teaching when he says in the opening words of the text, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. I call your attention to the text this morning, taking this as our theme, chosen by Christ. Let's notice, first of all, a divine choosing. Secondly, an unconditional choosing. And finally, a purposeful choosing. In the text, Jesus says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. When he speaks in the text of choosing, the choosing that he has in mind is election. You may read the text That way, you have not elected me, but I have elected you and ordained you. Election is choosing. Jesus teaches us several important truths about election in the text. Choose that we, truths that we must understand. First, he teaches in the text that election is God's choice of certain individuals. Election is definite and election is particular. That comes out when Jesus says in the text, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you. You, who are individuals, who are definite persons. Election is not some vague and indefinite decree of God that, yes, some people in the end will be saved without specifying at all who those people are. Election is not God's decision, merely to save a mass of human beings, as it were, a pile of stones in a heap. That's not election. But election is God's decision to choose this one and that one and that one, and him, and her election is definite. In the second place, Jesus teaches in the text that election is from eternity. Election is not a decision of God in time. Election is not this. That God looks into his crystal ball, and he sees that some people will choose him. Some people will have faith, foreseen faith. That some people will live holy and godly lives. And therefore, God chooses them to be his people, that is not the biblical and the reformed teaching of election. But election is God's decision in and from eternity. That's indicated in several ways in the text. First, Jesus does not say, I choose, but I choose you and ordain you, present tense for both of those verbs. That's not the text, but the text is, I have chosen you and I have ordained you. Both of those verbs are in the past tense. In other words, not in time, but from eternity I have chosen and ordained you. That's also in keeping. This, that the decree of election is eternal, that's in keeping. With the one who speaks these words. Who is talking in the text? Who's the I, children? Who's the I that's speaking in the text who says, I, I, that I is Jesus. But Jesus is not a mere man. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And that really is the theme of the whole of the gospel according to John to demonstrate that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. As the eternal Son of God, he has chosen and ordained us. And in the third place, the text teaches that this choice in ordination of God take place prior to our going and bringing forth fruit. That's how the text is arranged. Notice that. I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. The bringing forth of fruit, as we will see, is the doing of good works. It's a life of obedience to the glory of God and of Jesus Christ. But that is what the people of God do here and now, in time, and in history. If God's choice of us takes place before... Our to the glory of His name, well then, our being chosen must have taken place in eternity. In eternity, God has chosen and ordained us. Third, this choice of us is a choice of us unto salvation. Unto salvation itself. In order to evade the force of Jesus' teaching in our text. It's often denied that Jesus is speaking in the text of salvation. It's said that Jesus is really only talking about his choosing of the 12 disciples to be his disciples, his apostles, so that after he has left them, they will continue to minister to him. But this does not do justice to the teaching of the text. Clearly, Jesus in the text is talking about salvation and his choosing of some men unto salvation itself. This is plain from the fact that Jesus chooses these men. To be associated with Him who is the Savior and the Redeemer. He will lay down His life for them as He says in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Clearly in the text, Jesus is talking not only about minus Judas, who is reprobate. But he's talking about his followers, disciples more broadly. He's talking about the people of God in every age. He's talking, therefore, about their salvation. This is also plain from the fact that in the text, Jesus speaks of the fruit produced by those whom he has chosen as being a fruit that is going to remain. To remain. To remain everlastingly. To remain even after this old world Jesus Christ, even then, they remain to remain into all eternity. In the text, Jesus is talking about choosing men unto salvation. And in the fourth place, he underscores the truth. That this salvation is gracious. His gracious choice of us. The cause of this election is alone his free and sovereign will to save us, to save whom he wills to save. The gracious character of Jesus' choice of us comes out in the order of the text. What's first? What's first in the text? Our producing fruit? The fruit of good works and obedience to God? Does that come first in the text followed by God and Christ's choosing of us as the result, then, of what we do. It's because of us, it's the due that we deserve because of our fruits that we are chosen. That's not the text. What comes first in the text is Christ's choosing of us. Following fruit. He doesn't choose us because of the fruit that we produce, because of what we do to earn. He chooses us. Freely and graciously. Altogether apart from what we deserve. And then, having chosen us, we produce enduring fruit. The fruit that we produce derives and is called God's and Christ's choosing of us in eternity. A gracious choosing of us. And Jesus teaches that this choice of us is for his sake. We are chosen in Jesus Christ. Although there is no basis in us, no God's election of us is in Jesus Christ. He is the one alone who suffers and dies, who earns who merits for us the salvation of our God. And Jesus underscores that in the text. For it is Jesus who is speaking in the text. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now it's true. That it is Jesus teaching here that it is God who has chosen us. Certainly, that's implied. But he says, I, I, Jesus Christ, I, the eternal Son of God in human flesh, I have chosen you. And he says it that way. Because we are chosen in Jesus Christ. This choosing and ordaining of us is discriminating. And that belongs to Jesus' teaching in the text. Not all men are chosen by him. Not all men are chosen by him in order to bring forth fruit his glory. Some are excluded. Some are rejected. They are the reprobate. Reprobation. The teaching of the Reformed Church, and that teaching is condensed and is described in the canons of Dort the Reformed Church, in line with the testimony of Scripture, teaches that not all men are chosen by God. Some only. The others are rejected. The others are reprobate. Reprobation is God's eternal decree appointing some definite people again to damnation. Those reprobated deserve that judgment and punishment on account of their unbelief and their other sins. They are reprobated and they suffer the pangs of hell in the way of their own wickedness, their own guilt, their own sin. But reprobation underscore. The absolute sovereignty of God. God doing with his creatures as he wills. Reprobation underscore Absolute sovereignty of God. As he fashions. Not only vessels unto honor. But vessels unto dishonor. Theoretically, of course, God could have chosen all men. He could have. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. But don't forget, He could also have chosen nobody. None of us. Because not one of us deserves Salvation. He chose to do neither. Save all. Or reprobate them, But instead. To save some. To reprobate. The others. And the reason. On account of which. He did that was to display his absolute sovereignty and to humble you and me the scriptures teach and our text teach teaches reprobation It does that in the very word, chosen, the very word for chosen in the text. For the word that's used in the text doesn't mean only to choose, but it means to choose out of. That's the word in the text. And that's the word, election. It isn't just choosing. It's choosing out of. And that the elect are chosen out of. imply that there are those who are not so chosen as they are. If they are chosen out of the mass of humanity, then clearly, some only are saved and the rest. No different than those who are chosen by God. The only difference is the difference that God makes in choosing them. But the rest of humankind, out of which they are chosen, perish in the way of their own sin, but according to God's decree of reprobation. The word itself, I say, teaches that. I'm not going to give you all kinds of proof text for reprobation this morning. Maybe that's something that you young people can do on your own this week. Find at least two or three scripture passages that teach it, but I am going to quote a couple. Like Proverbs 16, verse 4, and you can't use the ones I'm giving you this morning. You have to find two others. Proverbs 16, verse 4 speaks of the fact that God has made the wicked for the day of evil. And in Jude 4, we read of certain men who creep into the church unawares, ungodly men, men who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They are men, Jude says, who were before To this condemnation, that's reprobation. But the outstanding thing about election is that it is unconditional. That's the second point, main point of the sermon this morning. It's unconditionality. The Reformed faith, in line with Scripture, underscores that election is unconditional. It has to be, and it has always been a part of the confession of those who have confessed biblical election that they have always emphasize that that election is unconditional. That is, there's nothing in those who are chosen, nothing about who they are or what they do that enters in to God's decree of election. God doesn't elect them because of who they are or what they do. It's unconditional election. This was the truth concerning election that the Synod of Dort underscored over against the heretics who were following a heretic named Armenius. And the error became known after him. Armenianism. Armenianism. Well, the Armenians at the time of the Synod of Dort taught election. Of course they did. They had to. Election is so much a part of the heart and soul of biblical Christianity, was the great truth. Recovered by the reformers. They taught election, did the Armenians. But this is what they taught about election. So they used the word, emptied it of its biblical and confessional meaning, and redefined it. Oh, they taught election. They spoke very often about election, but there was a conditional election. They taught that God elects whom he elects because he foresees, he looks down into the future, and he foresees that they're going to believe and that they're going to live godly lives. At least they're going to try to. And so, because he sees that about them, he chooses them to be his people. Election? Oh, yes. Election, 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 they said. But they meant by it conditional election. In a very clear way, the text opposes that view of election and teaches that election is unconditional. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Jesus does not mean to teach there that we don't choose him. We'll come back to that at the end this morning. We do choose Jesus Christ. Of course we do. You chose you desire to come to church this morning to hear the word of the gospel. You chose Jesus Christ. But what Jesus means to teach in the text is that in no sense of the it was His choice that was first. And more than that, His his choice of us was first, and our choice of him is the fruit of his choice of us. That's the teaching of the text. His choice is first, and his choice is decisive. The teaching of the text is that we choose Jesus Christ, but only chooses us. Our choice is not the reason or cause of his choice of us. But he chooses us and then as the fruit of his choice we go and bring forth fruits. In the text, in the original of the text, the text is emphatic on that score. The text reads, not, that's put first in the text, not have ye chosen me, but I have chosen you. The not is emphatic and is first. The second part of the text also underscores the unconditionality of Christ's choice of us. In the text, Jesus goes on to say not only that he has chosen us and ordained us, but that we should go and bring forth fruit. That in order we should go and bring forth fruit. We have not been ordained in any sense of the word because of the fruit that we have produced. But the fruit that we produce, and we do we do, but that fruit is itself the fruit of His choice of us. We bring forth fruit because He has chosen us. Make that personal. You have to. I have to. Make the text personal. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Me, and ordained me that I should go. And bring forth fruit. And that's the purpose. In the text, Jesus not only teaches the truth of election, and not only underscores the truth that election is unconditional, but he also sets forth what is God's and Christ's purpose in electing us. He points that out when he teaches that the fruit of our election is that we go and bring forth fruit. The truth of election does not destroy a life of good works as the enemies always charge. Teach people that they're elect, that they've been chosen to salvation in eternity, that there's nothing that can happen to change that. Nothing that the devil can do, nothing that they can do to undermine Jesus and God's choice of them. Teach that, the enemies say, and you're going to have people living ungodly and unholy lives, taking the attitude, well, what's the difference? God's chosen me. There's nothing that can change that. So I might as well live like the world here and now. And my salvation is secure because God has chosen me and he's going to preserve me. That's not the way it is. It follows. It follows absolutely, infallibly. It follows without one exception, not even one, that those whom God and Christ elect bring forth fruit unto the praise of God. Good works and prayer. And that's my reference to the last part of the text, as part of the fruit, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Good works and prayer. The Heidelberg Catechism has nailed it. In that last section of the Catechism on Gratitude, what are the two things covered in that last section? You young people know who studied the Heidelberg Catechism. The Ten Commandments, a life of good works, the Lord's Prayer. prayer. Those are the two main things that show forth the gratitude of those who have been chosen by Jesus Christ. Let's not think here of the spectacular good works that get the attention that others see and probably praise us for. And that's all right, too, in a measure. He's talking about the unseen, maybe an unappreciated good work of a mother who, in the home, takes care of the needs of her family, goes about doing all her housework, everything connected with the care of children, and is unnoticed and probably underappreciated. That's a great good work, which is the fruit of God's election. A husband and father who probably works long hours at a job he doesn't really like, but it pays the bills, the Christian school tuition, the church budget, and some left over for the other causes of the kingdom. And then all of the other sacrifices and sorrows and pains of God's people in this earthly life. That's the fruit of election. At the same time, Jesus teaches in these words how we may know that we are the elect children of God. Let me ask you, do you live as you please? Or do you strive to live in obedience to your parents' children, to God, all of us? Are you sorry when you don't? you stricken. Do you repent of your sins and cry out to God for forgiveness? Do you endure the reproach and hatred of the world as our Lord Jesus Christ who's on his way to the cross in John 15? And do you choose Jesus Christ? Choose him gladly. Choose to follow after him. Choose to live as a citizen of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, those are all the evidences and a multitude more that you are an elect child of God. Listen. Don't doubt that. But live in thankfulness to God for it. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, the gospel of thy grace to us in Jesus Christ humbles every one of us. Who are we? That thou shouldest set thy love upon us. But for a reason known only unto thyself and hid, hid everlastingly in thy divine heart, thou didst see fit to choose us, even us. Then what humbles us even more is that thou hast chosen our children and children's children after us. We pray that out of gratitude, we may live to the glory and praise of thy name all the days of our lives. Amen.